Normally we'd start this with a reading, but we're going to read this whole scripture throughout this sermon, and so we're going to jump right into um, this new series that we're calling When God Doesn't Fix It. Uh, Every summer, I don't know if you know this, but every summer I take a little time um, to uh, spend—I get to— All the words came out at once. I do that a lot around here. Sorry about that. Um— the, uh, every June, I get to sit down and come up with a calendar and kind of figure out what is it that we need to talk about as a congregation. And so we made some plans. We said, well, in Lent, we'll probably talk about prayer. Uh, at Christmas time, we'll start to talk about uh, some of the joyful things that God does um, when he shows up on earth. We knew we were talking about a capital campaign and, and some core values, and we had all these plans. And in February, I had written on this calendar, I said, we should talk about when God doesn't fix it. And I said, we should do that because people go through stuff, and they're sad, and they hurt, and it's hard. And I thought, you know, this congregation, I look out at you, and we need tools to be able to wrestle through some of these things. And so I said, I'll do some research, and I'll figure that out, and we'll have a conversation about that, and and, and we'll figure out what it is. And so uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to ask this question, what happens when God doesn't fix it? But the thing was, is that when I put this on the calendar, I just didn't know. And maybe that's how you feel. Things come up and things change your perspective. So I put this on the calendar in June. Uh, In October, I had a chance to go for a week of continuing ed, and I was off in Des Moines learning from a church, and I came back and I had a bunch of different ideas, and I was really excited. Sunday night, I hung out with my family. Um, But on a Monday morning, I got a call about 5.30 from my dad. He said, you need to come to the hospital. So I did. And I drove down there. It felt like a really long drive. I'm really glad there were no cops on the way because I'm pretty sure I went faster than I was supposed to. Uh, But he said, he had said, something happened to your mom. And I went, okay, I don't really know what that means, but if you're calling me at five in the morning and telling me to get to the hospital, that's probably not, not good. And I got to the door, and I knew it was real bad when I got to the door because I've worked as a hospital chaplain. And so when something bad is happening and you go to the hospital, you meet people at the door so that you can prep them so they're not shocked when they go in the room. And when I got to the door, there was a nurse standing at the door. I just need to talk to you a little bit. Okay. And so we talked, and I walked into the room, and there's my dad, and he's crying, and my mom is laying there, and she's on a a ventilator. And I went, whoa, this is a little crazy. And they said, well, my dad said, I woke up and she was thrashing and then she stopped. And we did CPR and we brought her to the hospital and, and her heart's working and she's breathing on the ventilator, but we're not quite sure how long she didn't have air. Maybe five minutes, maybe 20 minutes. I think it was just hard to figure out perspective of how much time it was at that point. And I went, okay. And we started to pray. And the doctors told us that for the next 20 or 48 hours, we were just going to wait. They were going to keep her in an induced coma. They were going to do some things that would try to prevent uh, damage that would happen from not having oxygen. And so we spent 48 hours, and all, essentially all I did for 48 hours was cry and pray. You've been there. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But some of you have stories like this that are real hard and real scary. And they said, well, we're going to try to wake her up 48 hours from now. And so Wednesday morning, we came in there, and, and we tried to wake her up, and she just didn't wake up very well. And by, by uh, Thursday morning, we, they tried to wake her up, and that didn't go real well either. And we'd been praying, and we'd been asking God, what are you going to do? And, 
And I'd been, at, I'd been telling God over and over again, I, I can't lose my mom. I'm not ready for this. She was healthy. Everything was going well. This isn't how this is going to work. Friday morning, they said, well, let's, let's see what's going on in her brain. And they came in and they did the, the scan where they test what's happening in her brain. And she's having seizures like crazy. And we figured out, oh man, this probably is part of what's happening. We don't really know what caused what. We'll never know what caused what. Uh, but, but they said this, is, this would be nearly impossible to settle down. And we looked at each other, and we knew what mom wanted. She said, please don't let me lay in a bed forever. And so my dad and my sister and I looked at each other, and we said, yeah, it's, it's time. And we prayed with her, and, and, and we said goodbye. And I asked the question that everybody asks. What do you do when you pray? What do you do when you pray and God doesn't? What do you do when you pray and God doesn't ask? Sorry, I'm going to do my best here. I've given this, I've talked this a lot of times because I'm not going to break down. Um, what do you do when you pray and God doesn't listen or God doesn't do what you ask or God doesn't even seem to show up and care and you're just sort of on your own? What do you do when God doesn't fix it? Because the reality of life is that we're surrounded both by great joy and incredible pain. We're surrounded by milestones filled with hope and love, and we're surrounded by heartache and fear and hurt and frustration. And we ask these questions, what do I do? And how do I cope with these things? When it seems like I said, God, I need you to do this, and God didn't. Where do we go? Most people who are new to faith wonder this question. And then the next question that people ask me all the time is this, can I say what I'm really feeling to God? You see, the thing about it is, is in church, we're really good at saying how great God is. God is so good, and God is so wonderful, and we we have people come in, and the most popular days to show up in a church are days like Christmas and Easter, and we rejoice, and we celebrate, and everything is wonderful. Most of our songs are upbeat and exciting and happy, and we read the scriptures that say, and Jesus overcame death in the grave, and he called people out. And I think sometimes we forget that that is not the only language of life. That's not the only language of faith, and it's certainly not the only language of Scripture. Can we really say what we really think to God? Do we have to be strong all the time? Do we have to be strong through everything? The Apostle Paul, when writing, wanted us to know that, no, you don't need to be strong for everything. You don't always need to be strong. You don't need to always have it together. In fact, when he was talking about um, what God had said to him, God had said this, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul wants us to know this. God doesn't expect us just to be strong and have everything together. But how do we learn to share our pain with God? This is great. God is going to show his power when we're weak. God is going to do these things when we're weak. But I think what's important is God doesn't expect us to just put on a brave face and say, God's got this. God's going to work all this out, and it's going to be okay. Instead, what it says is we can be our real and whole selves with God. And I had to relearn again, and I think we always need to relearn again, 
How do we learn to bring our pain, our heartache, and our frustration to God? There's a whole language in the Bible about doing this. And uh, I looked up a definition for you. It's, it's this word is called lament. And lament is a word that we don't usually use in the Bible, but I thought the definition was really helpful, and so I wanted to share this. Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. If you've been real sick, or a loved one has been real sick, or you've lost somebody, or you've struggled mightily with the loss of a job or a living or an ability, you know this. A passionate expression of grief and sorrow. I had a lot of these. And I'm sure that I'm not alone. In fact, one of the things, I'll talk about this in more depth next week, but one of the things I discovered is that losing a parent is like joining some sort of terrible club. There are lots of people who've been through it, and they all know each other's pain. And they all share it with one another. No matter how it happens, we know each other's pain and we struggle through it. And I know there are other groups where you walk with each other because you know what it's like to offer the depth of your hurt. The depth of our hurt brought fully to God. That's what a lament is. Saying, this is how I really feel. And this is how much I really hurt. I I've been reading these scriptures, and I've been reading, there are these psalms that come out over and over again in lament, and I've been reading them, and I go, man, how do people know what I'm feeling? And then I realized it. They've been there too. And one of my favorite things about lament is it learned the lesson that um, the show Full House never did. You can't wrap everything up neat and tidy in 22 minutes. It just doesn't work at the end. You don't get it. You don't come to the very end and it's like, okay, now it's all fixed and praise the Lord. In fact, laments don't often go that way. They look really, really different. And so I want to take you through one of these. This is Psalm 39, which is a psalm of lament. It's a song that talks a lot about some of the pain and struggle and heartache that a guy named David was feeling. David was the king of of Israel. He was a great man. He's looked up as a great leader. But in one of his darkest periods, he finds himself writing these words. I was silent and I was still. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. While I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. That's a feeling I experience. And if you don't notice what's going on here, David is trying to keep something in. He's trying not to say something. Have you ever tried not to say something? You were really mad and really frustrated, and you said, but I'm not going to say it because nothing I'm going to say is going to be helpful in this moment. It says, David says, I was silent, I was still, I tried to hold my peace, but then I spoke with my tongue. Here comes his real thought, the depth of who he is. And he says this, Lord, let me know my end and let me know the measure of my, or, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a few handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands as mere breath. Something, whatever it is, is making David recognize how short his life is. It's making him recognize that this isn't going to go on forever. And something says, I, I need to know how long, Lord. I need to know how long do I need to endure this. And then he says this. Sorry, go back. Go back one more. In the middle of that, he says, You have made my days as a few handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. 
which gets to the statement that all of us have said in a hard moment. What's the point? Why are we here? Why are we here to suffer? And how are we supposed to struggle through that? I don't know about you, but I've asked those questions a lot of times. And sometimes when I ask those questions out loud, people want to stop me. They're like, you know, you're a person of faith. You shouldn't say that. David is a person of faith, and he says it out loud and straightforward. And instead of burying it, they put it in the Bible for all of us to read forever and ever. This is a faithful thing to ask. I need to know what the point of all of this is. He adds this. You can go ahead now. Surely everyone goes about like a shadow. Surely, surely for nothing they are in turmoil. They heap up and do not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. He adds, I'm silent and do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am worn down by the blows of your hand. You chastise mortals and pun- in punishment for sin, consuming like a moth what is dear to them. Surely everyone is a mere breath. Do you want to know why David's hurt is so deep? Do you want to know why it hurts so much when it feels like we pray and God doesn't fix it? David says it. He feels like God is doing this. He feels like God is causing the pain. If I'm real honest, I felt like that too. God, would you look some other direction? Whatever your blessing is, I need it to stop right now because this is just way too much for what I can handle. People say, well, God couldn't give you more than you can handle. You bet he could. You you bet he could. Or maybe life is just more than I can handle by myself. We've all struggled, maybe, with these words. I can't—I'm worn down by the blows of your hand. Is God really causing it? I'm not sure in the middle of pain that we can say that. We can't really see. And the thing about the middle of in our pain is this. You can't see clearly when you're in the middle of pain. Pain and hurt and heartache isolate us. They make us feel alone. People want desperately to get in, and they can't, because what we want is to push people away. This hurts so much, I don't want to infect. I don't want to push it on anybody else. And so it makes me say, I'm going to be alone. And so he sees himself alone from his friends, alone from his family, and alone from his God, hurting and in pain. You see, David's example helps us see something really important. This kind of pain and this kind of isolation is not new. It's not something that suddenly we experience it. It feels like nobody could ever go through this kind of pain until we begin to realize that it's something that we share together, that the heartache and hurt of the world is real and we shouldn't be afraid of it because we've been through it as one. And we're not alone, even from God himself, who knows this kind of pain and lets us hear what this really means. Where does pain come from? Does it come from God? I don't believe that. I don't think God causes it. We'll ask this question as we get to the very end of this series. You know, what's the point of all of this? 
What does it do in our lives? But the first thing I want to say is this. I don't think God is going, well, you're bad, so. Or God is saying, I just can't fix it. Or whatever. Pain seems, the heartache of the world seems to be something that just is. Much like God himself, it was there at creation. And we're trying to figure out what do we do with it? And how do we deal with it? God, David's asking, how do I do this and why on earth are you after me? He finishes his writing with these words. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears, for I am like a passing guest, an alien like all my forebears. Turn your gaze away from me that I might smile again before I depart and am no more. David is hurting so much he just wants a break from God. He says, could you look at somebody else? Could they be your chosen ones for a little while? Because I can't do this. And then it ends. There's no ending like, but I know. In fact, he says, and then I will be no more, indicating that he probably believes, at least in this moment, that I'm going to be done and then that's going to be it. There's something we feel. There's something we fear. It hurts. And sometimes we simply need to hear this perspective that this isn't all there is. We, like David, need to be reminded that there's going to be more than this. There's no indication that the psalmist even thought there was an afterlife. But you and I have heard and know and believe something else. That there might be more than life on earth. That doesn't really help in the pain, though. That doesn't really help us feel better. But it's helpful to be reminded over and over again that this pain doesn't isolate us. It unites us. It's something that's the reality of who we are. I was struggling through this over, or about a month after my mom had died, and we'd had the funeral, and we had actually had another family funeral, which was kind of tough um, in our lives. My grandma passed away a couple weeks after that, and we just really struggled. And I found myself, I'd been going, the first thing I did, by the way, the first thing I did because I know me is I called up a counselor and I was like, I'm going to need to talk to somebody. All right? So please know that that's a big deal for me. And if that is weird for you, you just need to hear that, that that's part of talking to somebody is a big deal in this. It helps a lot. So I called up, I called up my counselor. His name's Gordy. He's awesome. He's just this wonderful rock. And he walks me through this, and he's watching me kind of hold back. And, he's, and I said, I feels like I know there's feelings there, but I can't get at them. And he said this. The scariest part of hurting that much is that you're afraid that if you start crying, you'll never stop. Ain't that the truth? You're afraid that if you actually let yourself feel those feelings, that you're never going to come out of that deep, dark pit. Yep. I'm afraid that I'll feel like David as he ends this psalm forever. And I'm not ready to go there. And so we kind of mask it and we stop it. And he says, you need to know this. The only way to the other side of those feelings is through them. (sighs) And I began to discover why David let himself write and think deeply about this. Because he knew that he had to hurt in order to experience healing. Essentially, Gordy gave me permission to lament. He gave me permission to have those passionate expressions of pain and hurt and grief and sorrow that I couldn't have before. 
And I began to pour those things out, and I began to read these scriptures, and I began to learn, well, what do we say about this? How do we express our grief? And I think there's four ways that we begin to express our grief. There's four things that we begin to say when we're really hurting. So what do we say? The first thing we say is this, why? You have to click that one more time to put it up there. Why? How do we, how do we express this grief? God, why are you doing this to me? God, why is this happening? God, why am I in this situation? And why do I have to deal with this? In, he, in Numbers 1.11, Moses himself dealing with the hurt and pain of people starting to turn on him, says this. It says, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Sometimes we have to ask this question, God, why are you doing this? And we have to ask it honestly and faithfully and say it out loud. I don't understand why it's happening. Maybe this is the word that you've been learning to say. Or maybe you learn to echo the words of the scriptures that say over and over again, how long Habakkuk 1-2, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not answer? How long, O Lord, over and over again is this expression that people ask? How long, God, is this going to last? And how long do I have to endure? How long is it going to hurt? And we learn to ask this question and say it out loud. God, I want this to end. Can you give me a picture of how long it's going to be? Or maybe it's these words, don't forget me. Don't forget me. It feels, God, like you're far away and you haven't shown up in any time in the present. I want you to hear this, God. Don't forget that I'm here and that I love you. I need you to show up for me again. Psalm 13, 1, David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you forget me forever? Because in the midst of the deepest sorrows of our life, it feels like God might never show up again. And we need to be able to say that and not be afraid of it. And finally, sometimes the lament are these words. Forgive me. God, I just need you to forgive me again. Because somewhere in the depth of my mind, I just can't deal with some of the pain maybe that I've caused or some of the hurt feelings that I have. And I'm going to need your forgiveness. Psalm 51, 7 says, Wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And we're reminded that God tells us that we can ask for this forgiveness over and over again, even when we're angry. I remember expressing a couple weeks after all that had gone down, I remember saying out loud, I said, I'm so mad at God. I'm not sure I can come back and do this. In fact, I wasn't sure totally that I was going to be able to come back and stand in this place or sit in this chair because I'm going, I hurt so much right now. And I said, I'm so mad. And well-meaning people who love me said, you can't say that. I need you to hear this. Sure can. God's not afraid of who you are or what you're feeling. He says, bring it to me. Bring it all. Bring your whole self. Because our first response when God doesn't fix it is to remember that we can be honest with God. To hurt, to struggle, and to wonder exactly what is it that he's doing in our lives. We're going to get into the next couple weeks. What does it mean to have a church that comes around you when you're broken? What does it mean to have a God who loves you and picks you back up again when you're hurting? What does it mean that this pain has some meaning in our lives? 
But this week, I simply want to leave you with this reality. Sometimes it hurts, and you don't have to be afraid of that. Simply pray and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. Maybe there's something that's been buried for a real long time, or maybe it's something that's real fresh, but wherever it is, bring it to God. Tell him, this is for you. I need you to hear this. I need you to know this. I need you to experience the pain that I'm experiencing. Because in that, we begin to find the relationship that will bring all the others together. This one that God says, I'll never leave you. I'll always walk with you. I'll always be there for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, sometimes we're so hurt by what's going on in our lives and in the world. I'm thankful right now that when I'm mad or sad, you're not a friend I have to hold back with, but you're a friend that I can bring all of my words to. And you tell me that you love me in the end. We pray now that you would surround all of us and that you would bring us hope and life in the midst of hurt and pain. We pray all these things in in your Jesus' name and together God's people said, Amen.